he got all of that one. Got all of that one. Welcome to In the Rough, a podcast dedicated to golfing in the Treasure Valley and beyond. And beyond. In the Rough is presented by First Tee Idaho, providing accessibility and affordability to golf while teaching our youth respect, integrity, courtesy, perseverance, sportsmanship, honesty, judgment, responsibility, and confidence. First Tee Idaho, because golf is more than a game. Welcome to December edition of In the Rough. I'm Corey Michaels, along with Nick Lacius. Hey, buddy. How you doing, Corey? I'm I'm doing good. Well, as we're uh, recording this December edition today, the snow is flying and not a not a lot of golf happening right now. Definitely not a lot of golf <laughs> happening right now. Uh, we've actually it was kind of fun this week. We did one of our outreach programs. We were at uh, Future Public School, so we were in their gymnasium doing golf with them this week, which is super fun. Super diverse group of kids, so that's yeah. a good good thing we do this time of year is go out to the elementary schools and interact with the PE teachers and the kids, and it's a blast. Now, about when do you get things underway again? So we're going to kick off our spring classes first week of April, Okay, um, and those will run for about five weeks, and then we'll take a two-week break, let the kids get out of school, and then our June and July, then we kick off our summer classes in June. Okay, so now it's all planning. Yeah, just getting the, getting ready for another big year and just try yeah. to build on the success we had this year. All right, well, we got a we got a great episode this time around. Yeah, a little Christmas special, as we promised in the last mm-hmm. one. Um, before we get into that, though, I mean, it's been such a good year for First Year Idaho. I just want to take a minute to thank right. some um, specific people that helped achieve that. Uh, Bob Road with his company, TR Toppers. Dave Goss with Goss Gustaval Goss. Uh, Tony and Lee Roberts, JJ and Sarah Storkia, Wood Tarver Financial and their uh, partner there, Eric Tarver, Blue Cross of Idaho, EGT Solar with Brian and Jackie Lolly, Kip and Signe Bedard, Boise Cascade, Key Bank, and Elaine Tucker in honor of her late husband, Myron Tucker. So those are some very, very key people to our success. Um, like I said, I've said it time and time again on the podcast, it's been a great year for us. Um, we're excited about where we're going to go. So Well, and we talked about this last time and almost every time. After a record year that First Tito has had, I mean, that's, a, that's a lot of pressure heading into the new year, but you've got some great plans on how to be able to expand, how to be able to bring even more kids into the program. Yeah, we're revamping some of our classes to make sure we can you know, not have wait lists, and we just want to get as many kids in the game of golf as possible and it is a little bit of a daunting task, but I'm up for the challenge, and I'm, I'm a competitive son of a gun, so uh, I'm looking forward to make it even better next year. Uh, if anyone can do it, you can, my friend. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be fun. All right, so uh, you want to introduce our, our guest? Yeah, so we're lucky to have a fun guest on today. Uh, he's you know featured on the Pat McAfee Show for Coach Him Up Chuck Wednesdays. He's been on the Ray Lewis podcast. Um coaching for 35 plus years, just recently retired, not to mention he's raised over $5 million uh, for cancer research. He's affectionately referred to by many as coach, Mr. Chuck Pagano. What's up, guys? Well, <laughs> w- welcome, coach. Thanks for being here. Thanks for be being here, here, my friend. Yeah. Uh, coach and I developed a relationship when I worked at Hillcrest. He would come back in the summer months and play a little golf and try to enjoy a little downtime with his wife and got to know him pretty well. And just a great guy, um, a great leader, um, just a really inspirational person that we are lucky to have in this community. So I thought, what a good guy to have on. We're not playing golf right now, but it's football season, so let's get Chuck Pagano in the booth. 
great great to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Coach, give us a little background on, uh, you know, where you're from, just a little history on Chuck Pagano. Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Boulder, Colorado. Um, went to school at the University of Wyoming, played football there. Uh, graduated uh, there in 80, 83, 85. I don't know. I was like a fourth or fifth year sophomore, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I loved playing ball, and, and, and I didn't like school so much. I mean, it was funny when I participated in our pro day my senior year. You know, as soon as I ran my 40, I looked back, and I see all the scouts shaking their head. <laughs> You know, and I just kept running right to the guidance counselor office. <laughs> I better get serious about this. I'm going to need a degree. Um, but, no, I had a great experience there and then went right into coaching. Uh, started at Southern Cal as a graduate assistant. Spent two years there, a year in Miami. And then my first full-time job was right here in Boise. Oh, nice. And that was 1987, Skip Hall's first year. I was here 87, 88. I met Tina, uh, my wife, form, formerly Tina Hefner at the time, and uh, we met, dated in '88, got married in '89, and and uh, obviously this is this is home now for us. But uh, dragged her across the country several times. Yeah. I think Indy, you know, we were in college for 17 years, and then jumped to the NFL in 2001 with the Browns, bounced around uh, a little bit in the NFL, and then got. You know, opportunity at a lifetime, 2012 as a head coach uh, of the Colts. Yeah, that was our 12th move, and uh, pretty much final move before we moved back here full time when I retired. You know, after last season, so finished uh, uh, in Indy 2017. Took a year off in 18. Uh, forced re- early retirement because <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Luck was on the sideline and we went four and twelve and that was that. That was yeah. a wrap. Yeah, um, I was a lot better coach when Andrew was under center. <laughs> we all get, you know, that at any level you you better have a quarterback. Um, otherwise, it's really really difficult to win and keep your job. But um, sat out eighteen, uh, got on with the Bears. Lucky to, uh, to do that in nineteen and twenty, and then. Always kind of had 60 in mind, um, you know, as a, as a number, you know, I kind of hopefully would be able to uh, retire at. And fortunately, um, the football gods were were uh, on our side and good to me and my family and was able to walk away, you know, on my own terms and now living uh, a blessed life here in Boise. I have three daughters that all live here, three granddaughters, uh, my grandson, Bear, and so we got tons of family. My wife's uh, family, all her siblings, the Hefners, uh, are here. And so we've got we got a good group, yeah. you know. And I feel very blessed. And the, you mentioned Hillcrest, and you know our, our time, you know, spent there as, as members there, and the community there is is outstanding. And so we're uh, all's good. Well, we're lucky to have you in the community. Um, I just want to go back a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about your, you know, leadership and coaching and, you know, how you developed into such a great leader. But like I mentioned, I did a lot of research on you prepping for this podcast. And one of the things I learned is that your father was a football coach uh, when you in high school, correct? And you played for him? Yes. Yeah. Fairview High School uh, in Boulder. So, um, yeah, me and my younger brother. My younger brother is an outside linebacker coach currently for the Denver Broncos, and he's been in it a long time. And uh, so we we grew up, uh, you know, in the sport and with the game uh, on the sideline, ball boy, you know, picking up jocks and socks and towels in the locker room <laughs> yeah. as youngsters and hanging out, you know, with dad uh, at the job. And 
Um, so he was very, very successful high school coach in Colorado and won a couple, three state championships. And he's in the, the Hall of Fame there in uh, Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. And um, so he, he did very, very well and um, obviously had a huge impact on, on myself and my my little brother and, and just watching, you know, how he, he built his program and how he, you know, you know, put a lot of stock in, in relationships and, and building those relationships and, um, you know, laying a, a solid foundation, you know, and building a program that, that could have sustained uh, success. And uh, he did it for a long time and won a bunch of games. So very fortunate, you know, to be around uh, him and the staff that he put together and the, the men that, you know, coached me and, and my little brother and, and the quality of human beings they were just, you know, Great people, but great teachers, uh, yeah. great uh, communicators. Um, you know, just you know, they cared. Yeah. You know, and 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 they were motivated. My my dad always told me. He said, "I never wanted to hire an assistant coach. You know, that didn't have aspirations on becoming a head coach, because he wanted you know guys that were driven uh, and and had those lofty goals in mind. Um, but at the same time, he he made sure that you know it wasn't about you know, any one person, it was always about the team, um, you know, so no egos uh, involved. Um, somebody taught me this this saying a long time ago, you know, he, he, and I, you know, used it over the years and, and I saw him do it. Just, you know, I think too many people want to be the reason, you know, you win. The reason why, you know, teams are successful or business. Um, it's more just be a reason. You know, yeah. do your job, keep your yeah. head down, work hard, treat people right, um, stay in your lane, so to speak. <laughs> um, you know, don't be afraid to step out there and, and give your opinions and your ideas and, yeah. and things like that. That's always, you know, welcome. But, uh, yeah, I learned, learned a lot, you know, uh, you know, from my dad. And I had a bunch of great, you know, mentors along the way and um, through 30-whatever years, plus years of coaching before I had my first opportunity to be a head coach. You know, so many great head coaches that uh, and assistant coaches that, you know, I had the opportunity to work alongside and learn from. So coaching was, from a young age, did you know that that's what you wanted to do? Just from your experience being around your dad, being on the sidelines, like you're saying, was it from an early, how old do you think you were when you said, you know, this is what I want to do after I get done playing ball myself? I get asked that question a lot, Nick, and um, I, I don't ever recall just you know, sitting down and, you know, I watched a lot of tape, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a boy, you know, growing up, um, you know, with, with my dad in the office and things like that. And, but I never really remember, you know, saying, Hey, this is what I want to do and sat around and draw, drawing plays and, you know, coming up with schemes, offense, defense, special, whatever. It was just like a natural progression, you know, for myself. And I think my brother experienced the same thing. Yeah. It's kind of all we knew. And, uh, I got a business degree, a marketing degree from University of Wyoming, and to be honest, my dad tried to talk me, you know, and my little brother Johnny out of coaching because he knew um, what kind of life that it was and the sacrifices um, and the you know how hard it is on on families on you know your wife and your in your children and the things that you miss uh, just because of the demand and the hours and the schedule and things like that. So he actually tried to talk us out of it, but. It was just kind of a natural, you know, progression for me and, and something that I never really considered anything else. And, again, once I once I graduated, I had a year after I finished playing uh, where I was a student coach at, at Wyoming, um, and that kind of, like, 
solidified it for me. Like, this is what I really want to do with the rest of my life. Lit the fire a little bit. Yeah. I had a person that I worked for. They said, Nick, along your career, you're going to work for a lot of different people. And your job is to learn characteristics that you want to bring with you and help you make a better person. And you're also going to learn a lot of things that you don't want to bring along with you that you know made them a poor leader. And it sounds like, you know, doing my research on you, you had the pleasure of working for a lot of great people. And I'm sure that that all culminated to when you got that opportunity of a lifetime, like you've mentioned, working for the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you're exactly right. Um, got to saw, see, excuse me, a lot of different you know, uh, coaching styles, uh, philosophies, um, those character traits, you know, that you're talking about, uh, more good, you know, than bad. And then, you know, you kind of formulate your own identity, uh, and your own, uh, coaching philosophy, uh, if you will. And, you know, you, you grab bits and pieces, uh, from each of those guys. Ted Tolner was, um, the first head coach that I worked for at, at Southern Cal and, Learned so many uh, great things uh, from from Coach Ted, you know, and then Jimmy Johnson, University of Miami, my third year in coaching. Um, totally different than Coach Tolner. Uh, Jimmy was uh, both great football coaches, but um, dealt with people uh, a little bit different ways, um, schematically a little bit different, uh, coaching philosophies uh, a little bit different, um, you know. So Skip, learned a lot from Skip. You know, here at Boise for a couple years, uh, Steve Logan, Butch Davis is the guy I worked for the most over, you know, basically, you know, five years, six years in Miami, 95 to 2000. Then he took me to the Browns with him uh, for four years up in Cleveland. So Butch had a a huge impact, uh, you know, on my coaching career. North Turner, when I was, we were let go in Cleveland. Um, He was at Oakland. Norv was actually the offense coordinator at Southern Cal back in 84, my first year in coaching. So I've known him for a long, long time. Dave Wanstead was the guy who took me down. So I'm listing a, a lot of names. You know, John Harbaugh, you know, hired me. Uh, I went back to college in 07. Uh, we got fired at Oakland in 06 and went back to college to UNC in 07. And then John Harbaugh, that's with Butch. And then John hired me uh, to go to the Ravens. And uh, I had a great four years there. Uh, coached the secondary for three years, and then we had a coordinator, Greg Madison, leave and go back to college and go back to Michigan with Brady Hoke, a guy that he was very, very close with. And the coordinator's job opened up at, at Baltimore, and so John gave me an opportunity, a lifetime there. Coach, uh, you know, some some of the one of the best defenses you know, yeah. in the National Football uh, League. Names yeah. like and you we, know Ray we, Lewis, you know, Ed, we, Reed. <laughs> Ray Lewis uh, Ed Reed. Suggs, Jared Johnson, Haloti Nada. I mean, you, Bart Scott, I mean, you go on and on and on and on. And uh, phenomenal. Just a great organization, too. So just, you know, watching how, you know, Steve Bashotti, the owner, you know, ran that organization. Um, the general manager, Ozzie Newsom, you know, what you learn from the personnel side, uh, guys like that. So um, very, very fortunate um, leading into, you know, after that 2011 season, you know, got again the opportunity of a lifetime to go interview, interview and uh, with Mr. Ursay and Ryan Grigson, the GM for the Colts, and you know, land that job. So a lot so, of people. So let's go back to that 2011 season with the Ravens. That was a pretty successful year for you guys. Took it all the way to the AFC Championship. And in doing my research and you know listening to some other stories you've told, when you know you guys lost in the AFC Championship, 
sounds like you were pretty crushed about that and you didn't really want to leave Baltimore. It sounds like you had kind of found a spot that you really enjoyed. Yeah, we, we loved it there. And yeah. again, um, you land in a spot and you have, uh, you know, a defensive unit like we had. And we did, you know, lose that, that championship game to the Patriots uh, that day up in Foxborough, 23 to 20. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, had we won that game, I, there was two weeks, obviously, and made the Super Bowl. There's two weeks there um, that, you know, you're not allowed at the time uh, to talk to another team about a, a head coaching position. So, so I would have never had an opportunity to interview, really? you know, with the Colts had we won that game. And, you know, Joe Flacco took us down the field and he, he threw a dart to Lee Evans in the corner of the end zone. His time was running out in the game in the fourth quarter. And the D-back from New England knocked the ball out the last second. And then Billy Cundiff, our kicker, went out there and he missed, you know, a, a chip shot to force to overtime. So it's crazy how the whole thing, you know, lined up. Yeah. Um, we were settled. We just built a home. We hadn't lived in it in six months, you know, in in, uh, in Baltimore there. Um, and then come in the office the next day and everybody's still reeling, you know, from the loss and just kind of in a fog. And John you know, called me in his office, Coach Harbaugh, and said, hey, Indy called, they want to talk to you. And I was like, about what? So, you know, all our, you know, we were all focused on the task at hand, and that was going to win that AFC championship game and get ourselves in the Super Bowl. So I really, I didn't even have any idea that the job was still open. So long story short, I was like, I don't, I don't have to talk to him. I call him back, tell him I'm not interested. I want to stay. And John looked at me like I was nuts. Yeah. You have to. There's only 32 of these jobs <laughs> in, the, in the world. You have to go talk. I said, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you do. You know, and I, I knew that was, the, you know, the case. Um, I was just being hard-headed, you know. I was like, let me go talk to Ozzy, see what Ozzy said. <laughs> Ozzy kicked me out of the door, too, and said, yeah, go talk to him. Just see, you know. Yeah. I wasn't ready. I, 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 you know, to put your, you know, a, a book together on your, your schedule and your philosophy and on practice and weight room and training room and um, the draft and personnel and schemes, offense. I, I you kind of know, but to actually put stuff together. So I was scrambling because they, they're like, okay, we're going to fly you up here and, you know, can you be here tomorrow, Bubba? And I'm like, this is happening fast. So the long and short of it was I flew up there, had a three-hour interview, and thought there's no way yeah. that this is going to happen, and, and fortunately it did. Well, something else you've been on the record for saying is you've treated every job you've had like it was going to be your last job. And I think that is a really, really cool testament to your work ethic and your commitment to every job you've ever had. I mean, a lot of people nowadays are in a job and they're looking ahead you know, a year, two years, three years, where am I going to be then? You know, they're not a hundred percent dedicated and focused to the job they're currently. in. And I think you did a fantastic job of that. And I think that story you just told is a perfect testament to that mindset and being a hundred percent focused in what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to give any um, advice at all to young people in the profession and or business or whatever they're doing, it's, it's just, it's just that it doesn't yeah. matter is kind of be where your feet are mm -hmm. you know we hear that a lot when people are talking about culture um yeah because if you're not you know and you're always looking you know the grass is greener type deal and i should be here and i should be there and why is this guy getting promoted and this that and the other and you're always looking for the next gig you're probably not doing a really good job yeah. at the one you have and and that will never happen so 
that was uh, somebody taught me that. Um, I learned that uh, at an early, early age. And, you know, so just, you know, do a great job. You know, Jimmy used to tell, because we had phenomenal team in 86 at Miami and went undefeated, went to the Fiesta Bowl. We lost to Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl and missed out on a national championship. But we had like 17 guys drafted, and he would all the time tell those guys, there's only one football. You know, and every one of those playmakers wants it every every snap, every down. Um, that can't happen, obviously. But he just said when, when the team wins, you know, there'll be enough cheese to go around. Everybody will get a little piece of the pie. And so that was, you know, something that, you know, great teams and that team, you know, bought into. Um, and it goes the same for, for coaching and, and whatever you're doing um, in life and with your careers. Just do a great job where you're at. Um, treat people the right way. Work hard. And, and good things will happen to you. Yeah, life take care, takes care of itself yes. if you do those things, right? Mm-hmm. So moving on, you get the opportunity. You know, you get your interview with uh, the Indianapolis Colts and Mr. Ursay. Uh, what was that? interview process like were you you know excited for this new opportunity was it overwhelming were you ready to go for this yeah again it was it was kind of like right out of left field happened really really fast um guy he sent his his jet down picked me up i got up there like i said i don't even have a suit ready (laughs) and they go don't worry about it the gm at the time ryan grigson said don't worry about just put a sport coat on and, and come up and don't worry about PowerPoints and this, that, let's just get to know each other. So I literally went up there and we spent three hours and first hour and so was with the owner and we were just talking philosophy and, um, and then, you know, we had some sandwiches brought in and we kept talking with the GM and then some COO and some legal counsel. Um, the owner, the next thing you know, three hours went by and I had never opened, you know, my satchel, my book bag pulled out anything that I had kind of scrambled to put together. And I was really just still kind of in a fog coming off the AFC championship game, and it was still raw. Um, so I just kind of was talking from the heart yeah, on, on, you know, whatever questions they asked me about, you know, players and relationships and staff and, you know, how to build, you know, a program and what my foundation would be and, and just kind of just – what I've learned over 28 years yeah. uh, in the business. And again, I got back on that plane three hours later and I called Tina. I said, you know, open a bottle. Cause we hadn't really even, you know, celebrated the end of the season or, you know, had time to really talk about anything and open a bottle of wine. And, and uh, there's no way I'm getting this thing. So you don't have to worry about selling the home. We just built and lived in for six months. And, <laughs> I woke up and I had missed the next day three phone calls from Jim <laughs> during the middle of the night and talked to him. He called me the next day and he, we talked for an hour and then he offered me the job. And it's funny because I said, you know, obviously humbled and flattered and honored, you know, that you would offer me this gig. And um, before I just officially, you know, say, yeah, can I call Tina and, just have a take as much time as you want, Coach. Blah blah blah. And I hung up, called Tina. And I said, "Hey, Jim called," and she's like, "She's antsy as hell, right?" What did he say? I said, "Well, he offered me the job," and she had some choice words for me. <laughs> she thought I was, you know, just pulling her chain, just messing with her. And she's like, "Don't you, you know, with me?" You know, I said, "No, I'm serious." And she goes, "What'd you tell him?" I said, I had to call you and talk to you about it. 
She goes, well, you dummy, call him back before and tell him to take it before he changes his mind, you know? <laughs> so That's incredible. Yeah, so it was, uh, it's, it, you know, these people, when, you, when these things happen, and, and it's just, again, the stars lined up perfectly, you know, for us with the way that championship game unfolded and the timing of being up there. And it's just, you know, when two people connect, you know, there was, there was a connection, yeah. you know, between, you know, Mr. Ursay and myself and Ryan Gregson, the general manager, had already been, you know, hired and put in place. And, you know, when you just you have a connection and there's a, there's a handshake, there's a feel, and you just know, you know, something about somebody, you just have that feel. And, and that's where I got, you know, lucky, too. There was just a great connection between uh, the three of us. That's amazing. Now, when a lot of times some of the most talented people that are out there are sometimes the most challenging as well. How do you, how did you approach those and those egos, talents, challenges with those, you know, individuals? Cause everyone, there's not a blanket way to deal with everyone. You want to say, I, I deal with everyone the same, but that's not, that's not true. In most cases, everyone has that personality that you have to be able to know how to manage. Yeah, no question about it. And you can have, you know, your rules and your guidelines and set the expectations. And this is how we're going to do business on a day-to-day basis. This is our process. But, yeah, you're going you're gonna to deal with the whiteout a whole lot different than you're probably going to deal with the start and center. You know, yeah. they're just different people. They're different personalities. Um, yeah, so I think it all starts – you know, with building a relationship with everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. in the organization, with every player on that team and taking the time out to spend time. When I went to, um, excuse me, when I went to the Ravens, Steve Bishotti told a story to the entire staff. He had a question that he asked John Harbaugh on his interview. And one of the questions that he asked him among the many was, what are you going to do this was in the interview. What are you going to do with the first 100 hours on the job? What's that going to look like? And, like, nobody's ever – I've never heard of that question being asked. You know, John mm-hmm. obviously was like, you know, well, you know, start to put together staff, you know, maybe reach out to guys and this, that, and, you know, some things. And, and he was like, do you think we can take a break right now? I need to think about this a little bit, you know, and uh, give, you, give you a real answer, you know. But – when he came back, to, you know, Steve told him, he said, you know, the first 60, because there's basically 60 people on the roster at the time, was going to be an hour to each of those individuals. What we just mm-hmm. talked about was building a relationship and getting to know those players yeah. so that you knew, you know, so that they knew that this wasn't just going to be a business deal, you know, mm-hmm. and it's going to be it's going to be no gray area, black and white, do it this way. You know, my way, the highway, whatever. So right. it was about people. It was about building a relationship, getting to know these players, know what makes them tick, how they're motivated, you know, what buttons, you know, to push. You know, you can coach and, and, and speak to maybe one guy a little bit different, you know, than another guy. Mm-hmm. I know in National Football League it's it's way different than college or high school that, you know, because you're dealing with, we hear it all the time, grown men. It's the men's league, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So – you can get yourself sideways, you know, especially if you challenge these alpha males and the guys you talked about, uh, mm-hmm. the personalities, the dynamic, you know, the talent, 
generational talent, some of these guys, Hall of Famers. You know, you challenge these guys in front of their peers and, and you speak down to them as derogatory and demeaning. Yeah. You're going to... You lost you know, them. You won't la- yeah, you won't last long, you know, because that, that trust deal is huge, you know. So building that relationship, building that trust... You know, now now you can now you can take a guy. A guy will let down, you know, his guard, so to speak, mm-hmm. and let you coach him, and let you take him, you know, to a place that maybe he couldn't get to by himself. I think we're all like that. Yep. But you know, especially with this generation of kids, the trust the trust level is is like almost zero in the beginning until mm-hmm. they really really know you. Yeah. Different meals said, hey, you know, these players don't care, you know, how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, so it's, you know, it was a great quote that I've carried with me for a, a long, long time from a Hall of Fame, you know, football coach and a guy that was, you know, outstanding at dealing with people and, and handling those type of things that you that you just talked about. That's one thing I've gotten to know about you over the years, of, you know, uh, developing a relationship with you is that you treat everybody um, <clears throat> not the same, but essentially the same. You know, you give whether you're a bag boy at Hillcrest or you're, you know, the president of the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, I'm sure you give them the same amount of respect time. They deserve, you look them in the eyes, you make them feel special. Right. And I think that's a huge reason that you were so successful as a football coach. I I appreciate that. And I kind of, you know, take pride, you know, in that and even going to Indy, you know, I, and I, I had an opportunity once we got our staff uh, put together, you know, Jim, got the whole organization in, in the pavilion and let me address the entire organization and kind of, you know, give them our vision, you know, what our identity was going to be and, and then our culture, you know, and part of that culture was, you know, no job is insignificant. It's going to take all of us mm-hmm. to get this done. And when I mean all of us, I'm not just talking, you know, the coaches and the players and trainers and strength coach. I'm talking everybody. So whether you're, you know, preparing, you know, the eggs for breakfast you're emptying out waste paper baskets, you know, everybody matters, you know, and there's no job that's insignificant. And we're going to treat each other, you know, accordingly. And um, I just think that's, you know, because we all, you know, we all want to do good. We all want to be recognized, mm-hmm. you know, and, and nothing like positive, you know, reinforcement and walking down a hall and actually, you know, if you call that you know, guy that's empty and waste paper basket, you call him by his first name, you know, and they look at you like, you, you really know my first name, you know, type deal. Like, cause it doesn't happen, you know, and I'm not patting, I don't want to come off as pat myself on the back, but that goes a long, long way. Yeah. You know, yeah. it goes a long, long way. And we all, you know, we all respect, and that's, you know, people treated me, you know, like that coming up you learn that from somebody along the way and, absolutely you know institute it into your life and it's e- it's easy yeah it's mm-hmm. not hard and i don't understand why you know some people don't get that that part of it they just don't want to take the time uh and effort and energy um you know to get to know yeah. you know everybody or or see you know we're, we're not equals but we are we're all human beings you know and everybody everybody matters you know, well, and that's not hard. That's not hard to do. No, and I, I, I've had friends that have, they didn't make it all the way, but they made it to like practice squads with some teams and stuff. And talking to a couple of them, they were like, I really don't think the coach knew my name. We barely saw the coach. 
so that was how much time did you spend with like those guys, you know, on the practice squad? Because the potential's always there that one of those or more are going to need to come up, especially God knows these days with COVID. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, anything can happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, you know, for 28 years before you have that opportunity, you know, to, to lead a program, uh, lead an organization, those stories that you heard, mm-hmm. I've seen them firsthand and I've, I've watched it and I've heard those stories firsthand. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, this is, I'm not going to repeat, you know, this behavior. Right. And uh, yeah, it, it matters, you know, mm-hmm. and again, it's just, there's enough time uh, in a day to spend time to not only get to know, because it's easy to, you know, hang out with your quarterback, you know, mm-hmm. and the starting, you know, offense and defensive line and, you know, the, the star linebacker with Ray and Ed Reed or, you know, right. Khalil Mack in Chicago. I mean, you know, but to take the time to really get to know and invest, you know, in the practice squad. You know, you got 53 guys on, on the on the regular roster. And then mm-hmm. now because of COVID, you got 16 players on the practice squad. It's not that hard to get to get to know those guys. And regardless of whether – because you want to develop – those guys, are, it's a – develop because you don't have a developmental league – you yeah. know, spring spring league goes away and XFL falls under and USFL, maybe they're going to get that going again. Uh, and if you, we don't have a, you know, single A, double A, triple A, so that practice right. squad is as small as it is. That is your developmental squad, you know. So yeah. uh, to invest time with them, not only talking to them, getting to know them, but then, you know, finding time to, to get them reps, you know, before practice, after mm-hmm. practice, and then having your having your – you know, your coaching staff spend a little bit of extra time, and it could be five minutes. It's an offensive lineman, you know, practice squad offensive lineman just working on pass sets and getting 20, 25 extra reps. Yeah. And to spend that time and invest that time with that individual, it's going to go a long way because he's, he's going to have opportunities. There's teams that can come and poach your guys off your practice squad. Right. But if they love it where they're at and they, they have a great relationship with their position coach and – the offensive coordinator and the head coach, whatever. If the money's equal, they're not going to leave. Yeah, they won't leave yeah. you and just go into the unknown. They have a chance to go to a team and sign to a fifty-three. Then I'll I'll drive them to that other city myself because that's a you know obviously <laughs> a, a great opportunity. But that stuff matters. So talking about great opportunities, getting back on the timeline of your coaching career. So you get the opportunity, Mr. Ursay says, hey, we'd love to have you join us, the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. And that's in 2012, correct? Yes. Obviously, that first year uh, gave you some circumstances that you weren't uh, weren't prepared for. Um, what was it that you were diagnosed with? APL, uh, promyelocytic, acute promyelocytic leukemia. And that only came, was it week four or four weeks into your first season as a head coach? Yeah, so, yeah, we were lucky because uh, when the schedules come out, you'd love to buy to be somewhere in the middle, you know, eight, week eight, week nine, you know, right. so you have a chance to if you got some guys injured whatnot. But it was actually week four, so it ended up being a, a godsend, yeah. you know, so to speak, because, you know, I was tired and things like that, but I had all this bruising uh, on my torso, some of my legs and my arms, and, you know, Tina was asked me if I'm – you know, practicing tackling drills, you know, with the guys and <laughs> physically getting beat up at practice or whatever. Where are these coming from? And, uh, yeah, so we, we played Jacksonville week three, and then we had to uh, buy week four. And I saw the doctors uh, Sunday before the Jacksonville game and showed them. And 
Uh, I thought the fatigue was just football fatigue, training camp, mm -hmm. stress on the job, all that stuff that comes with it. But I said, yeah, we'll do some blood work this week during the bye and, and see what's going on. And next thing I know, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm down sitting in front of an oncologist at the Simon Cancer Center down in Indy, and he's telling me, you know, uh, this diagnosis, you know, based on my blood work. And it's just like, I always say getting hit over the head with a two by four. Because mm -hmm. we, we know a lot of people, right, that have been affected, you know, by cancer. But you never really, you know, think it's going to be you. Right. So when you hear those words, you know, you have cancer, it's, you know, you have a tendency to go, you know, a little bit of a pity party, you know, why me? Yeah. But then reality, you know, hits you between the eyes. And you're just, my wife's sitting there, Tina, and so I got three daughters and three granddaughters at the time and football team. I just got my dream job. And what are my chances? Startling. What are the odds? Give me the game plan. You know, what are we going to do? Kick cancer's ass, you know, and that, that was the mindset. And knowing you, I'm sure you probably said those words pretty quickly after he told you the situation. He said, all right, let's do this. Yeah. And I, and I was fortunate because the form of leukemia that I had, um, you know, because of, because of research was, was highly curable, you know, and there was a, a process and, you know, 26 days in, in the hospital and then two more months at home going through treatment and things, you know, that you have to do. But I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, get into remission and, and be able to go back to, back to work, you know, right before the end of the season. How difficult was that in your first year as the head coach, you know, watching from the sidelines, your team, and you guys did pretty well that year, you know, finished yeah. up with an 11 and five record, right? Yeah, Bruce, so, Bruce Arians kind of took the torch. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. And I, I just think, you know, when when we first started, you know, back in the spring, when you get that job and you put a staff together and you're, you're building a culture and you're laying a foundation, you know, we always said, hey, you know, we want to build this thing on rock and not sand because there's going to be storms. There's going to be adversity. We know it. And that's foot. Now, we didn't know this was coming. But we knew something was coming. Just life, just how it is, you know. And I always used to talk to the guys about, you know, as soon as you figure out that life's tough, it starts getting a lot easier. It's just how it is. And so I think going back to, you know, the foundation that was laid and the relationships and, and the type of people that we surrounded ourselves with, and I was fortunate enough to get, like a Bruce Arians, you know, on the staff. Um, yeah, it was, it was hard because we were ranked 32 out of 32 teams on the power rankings. So we went into training camp that, that fall. I had a T-shirt made, you know, big horseshoe on the front, and then on the back I, I had the power rankings. So I had small letters, you know, 1 through 31, and then 32, the Indianapolis Colts. So that was our motivation. That was going to be our edge, you know, uh, going into the thing. And, and then, you know, I leave week four, and Bruce takes over, and, shoot, he goes 9 and 3 the 12 weeks that I was out, clinches a playoff berth, you know, before I get back. Andrew Luck, you know, at, at the helm, and he's got four, you know, seven fourth quarter comebacks, yeah. you know, that season, and just <laughs> it's really. I mean, I was doing chemo and going through all this stuff, and I, you know, they set me up a big monitor in my hospital room, and they would bring me hard drives from practice every day, and technology, uh, you know, was such to where I could communicate, FaceTime, and texting, you know, with the coaches and the players, and. You know, watching the games. Never watched a game with my wife before, and I remember the first game was against Green Bay. You know, and as soon as the ball was kicked off, we're kind of sit. She's sitting on the edge of my bed, and we got the game on, and she just starts, you know, 
gyrating and screaming, you know, over plays that are happening. And what do we do? And I'm like, we're not two minutes in the game. I like, is this really how you are? Because <laughs> I've always been on the sideline. She's always been in the stands. Yeah. And I had no idea. So that took some getting used to. <laughs> Just the emotional roller coaster that she rode yeah. throughout the course of a game. But yeah. that was like the best medicine yeah. that I received was watching those guys, you know, play and the job that Bruce did filling in as the interim um, and guiding and leading, you know, that, that, that team. And it yeah. was just inspiring, you know, and it was just like it took, it took me away from the dark place that I was in, you know, going through, you know, the chemo. Mm-hmm. And we know how, um, how that can be, you know, just a tough process. But that was, that was incredible. I mean, talk about incredible support, not only from the Indianapolis Colts community, right, but the NFL, and how they, you know, got behind you and, hey, Chuck Strong, you know, we're going to get through this. I mean, I get doing all the research for this, seeing cheerleaders shaving their heads, you know, seeing the Green Bay Packers when you played them coming out on the field with the Colts, everybody's wearing a Chuck Strong T-shirt. I mean, just the unity that said, hey, we're behind this guy and we're going to get him through this. Um, it's really cool. I mean, one of my favorite stories is, how Bruce Arians left the light on in your office the whole time you were gone. I mean, talk about cool. Every time I watch that press conference with Bruce, I get a little choked up because it's just. Yeah, it's like, who thinks of this? <laughs> yeah, no, only Bruce could. You know, and you know, he's with... just fighting back tears that entire time up there, too. No, it was, and you still, you know, you get emotional talking about it now. And that whole Chuck Strong, like, Tina went down that morning before that game. And she was going to – She it was breast cancer awareness, you know, in the league in October. And mm-hmm. um, uh, so she went to sell T-shirts before the game and then was going to come home and watch a game with me in the hospital. And she came back and she had this T-shirt, you know, the wristbands. And she's like, do you know anything about this Chuck Strong deal? I said, I had no idea. What the hell is going on, you know? <laughs> and it morphed into, you know, what it is today. And uh, – yeah, you find out, you know, that there's a hell of a lot more good in this world yeah. than bad. And yep. the NFL community, uh, the Indianapolis community, the owner, Mr. Ursay, that team, you know, just how they, you know, galvanized and rallied and encouraged, you know, those, you mentioned the cheerleaders. And, I mean, just you just get blown away, Yeah, and, you know, with stuff like that because um, they didn't know me. I've only been there for five, six months, you know, yeah. and then for them to do that, uh, it just, it just speaks to, you know, how good, um, that can, I was at the right place at the right time. Well, it's also a testament to you too, you know, the yeah, type of character you are and individually you are that people quickly realize this is a great, great guy. Like you said, you didn't even have to pull any of the information out of your book bag when you were interviewing for the job. He just he got the read right there that this is the guy we want. This is the guy that's going to bring the culture and turn the ship around. And you know, what was one of the one of the things I learned? Only the second NFL coach to register at least eleven wins in their first four seasons. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> it was actually the first three. I'll take the fourth. <laughs> if you want to put it in there, but, but yeah, I think I think Jim Harbaugh might have done it at uh, at Sam Fran did had 11 and 5 uh, record his first 3 seasons so yeah something really look back on and and be uh be proud of and 
And again, I was very lucky, you know, get through that first year, number one. Uh, number two, Andrew Luck was available <laughs> and, and was the first pick, mm -hmm. you know, in the draft that year and, and just lost, obviously, one of the greatest to ever play the position when Peyton Manning, you know, uh, the year before. Uh, but and a, and a great staff and, and, a, and a group of guys that, that all bought in. And, you know, it was about, you know, the team and it wasn't about any individual. And it just, you know, when that momentum starts to go and you have that, that feeling and that yeah. it's just, it's like, because you see teams, championship teams, that's all they ever talk about in the locker room, right? After raising a trophy of any kind at mm -hmm. any level, it's the chemistry. It's a relationship. It's I love my brother. It's about the brotherhood and the coaches and players and organization, everybody coming together, you know, and one common goal and checking egos. That's all you ever hear about, you know, and that's, that's like, it's unbeatable. So you returned to the sideline the last week of the regular season right before the playoffs, correct? Yeah. How was that return to the sideline? I'm crazy. sure it was a big, very emotional day. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was like walking into the team room on that Monday prior. I got to finally go back to work, you know. Uh, it was like – and it was like – because being away from the team and then watching the team play and the success that they had and the job that Bruce did, you know, and leaving the light on and all those assistant coaches and then walking back in and him just like, all right, boss, you know – here's the torch and I haven't been there. So you, you, you're like, you know, shaking your, your legs, like your sea legs. I try to get those back under me and, and, and Bruce, you know, being the humble guy that he is and just like, okay, it's your deal. We just, you know, we just kept things rolling just as you, you know, whatever, but that was hard, you know, and then walking out there on that field, you know, that day, um, that last regular season game, because we could, it clinched the playoffs, you know, so really had nothing to play for. We couldn't better ourselves. We are going to play in the wild card game, you know, go on the road. So that was set. So the media, like, that week was like, so do you think you're going to play your guys and, and are you going to rest <clears throat> knowing that you don't – I was like, are you serious? <laughs> you're really asking me, like, going through what we just went through and I'm coming back and we're, we're not going to play and compete – you know, because I always said from the beginning, we signed up for 16 games. No matter what the circumstances are, we're going to compete and play all 16, try to win every single one of mm -hmm. them, son of a guns. And, and uh, yeah, so that was that was, was really cool, you know, because uh, there, there was a – like the PR guy, like, do you want me to walk with you? Do you want some help getting out here and, and things? I said, mm -hmm. no, it's no big – because I hadn't been out on the field yet. And it was just – it was crazy. I'm sure. It's pretty fun. Yeah, pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty wild. Pretty unique. Pretty. I mean, just yeah. It was. It was really cool. And then to be able to win that game. Yeah. It was special. I bet. I watched uh, some videos of Coach on the sideline, like a mic'd up video of Chuck uh -huh. Pagano. You get a lot of body English going on that sideline. I was, <laughs> I was watching you, and you're oh, hard not you know. to. <laughs> Just yelling things out yeah. at the defense. It was it was very entertaining to watch. So, how many years were you in Indianapolis then? Six. Six. For those six were six years. If you had one word to describe those six years, what would it be? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Quite the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Just something like you can't you can't write. 
a script for you. Never know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looking back on how how it started, you know how it ended, all the ups, all the downs, you know, and and through it all, um, you know, you you grow. Everybody everybody grows and you learn and you you get better, mm-hmm. you know, with each day and you know, each season, you know, in in your role. Um, but but pretty amazing and to do what we did early on, and to you know make the playoffs and advance in year two and then make the AFC championship game and, you know, disappointing loss in that game to the, to the Patriots again. Um, and it's funny and ironically, they, they play again on Saturday you know, <laughs> back in Indy yeah. uh, this week, but uh, yeah, to, to reach that and then, you know, some things happen, but yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing and uh, heck of a journey and um, the relationships that were built and the people, uh, that we met and uh, will forever, you know, be a part of that, you know, community uh, because of, you know, Chuck Strong and, you know, our initiative, um, you know, with that, with that gala and, and the fundraising, you know, that we continue to do. And so we'll, we'll forever be bonded you know, yeah. with that community. Well, I think you had a, a lasting impact on a lot of people that have interacted with you over ways. your 30 ways. plus years coaching, you know, um, so this is a golf podcast. <laughs> so let's uh, bring it back full circle here. So what what has golf meant to you in your life? Oh, a lot of frustration. <laughs> Some broken clubs early on as a young, immature, you know, golfer. With how old were you when you started no, golfing? Um, you know, I, I didn't golf as a, as a youngster. Um, my dad took me a few times, and I was more of a caddy. You know. <laughs> We had a bad experience caddying one time, and that was like my last time caddying. Um, but but anyway, high school played a little bit. You know, there's this old you know nine hole course called Haystack out in the sticks in Boulder. It was just it was an amazing place for us. We didn't know any better, but it's really a goat ranch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it was fun. It's somewhere where you yeah. know. The driving range was right to the right of the first tee and had a massive slice. Still do. We call it a butter cut now. <laughs> I've improved it to a butter cut to where every time now and then it'll get loose from me, but I put a lot of balls in that range. And uh, fortunately, you can't go get them over there. But a few times in high school, a few times in college, but not until really when I got into, you know, my coaching career and, you know, you're playing some, you know, some – you know, team activity outings and things like that and some whatever. But this is the most, you know, because, you know, as a coach, um, you know, once July hits, you put your sticks up and until the season's over, you know, in the spring, depending on where you live, it's not like you're going to go out and hit balls or go play during the season. Last thing you want to do is be seen on a golf course you know, like on a Friday afternoon, you know, and then get your, your butt kicked in on Sunday. You yeah. know, you don't want to get – we said if we're going to get fired, it's going to be because, you know, we didn't win enough games. Yeah. Not because I was out, you know, working on my golf game. You know, Trying to blow my, off a little steam. Get my butt kicked on Sundays. But um, played a little bit more, you know, in the summers, you know, coming back here. Yeah. But now, you know, my wife Tina, you know, plays and all, all my brother-in-laws and got a great crew. This is like retired coaches' haven right now here, yeah. you know, with Dirk, Dirk Cutter, and you know Chris Peterson's eventually going to move back here, and 
the commissioner, you know, Scotty Butterfield. Yeah. You know, so have a great group. And um, we joined Whitetail as well this summer and, and amazing courses, you know, up yeah. there. So just a, a great community at Hillcrest and, and up there to play a bunch of golf. But I, I'm not that good. I don't. I don't have the the skill set that some have to just be able to pick up clubs and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, six months later, they're a two or a three or four or whatever scratch golfer. So, I have more fun. Um, I love when, the, you know, drink carts are out. <laughs> My wife plays. You know, we play together a lot. Yeah. And we have a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. So. I always knew in the summer months when he'd come back into town, it's like, I'm here to just lay low, just enjoy a little, you know, they'd get the three o'clock tea time. Him and Tina would go out, just cruise around for nine holes. Just, yeah. I'm here to relax a little bit, bring my blood pressure down just a skosh <laughs> from the year. You well, know? It is amazing, though, how certain players <clears throat> are just good at just about everything they try. I mean, prior to moving to Boise 20 years ago, uh, used to, I lived in Monterey for about 10 years. And I'd go down to the <clears throat> AT&T Pro-Am down at Pebble, Pebble Beach to cover that. I was in radio. And um, it was always amazing to me, the players like Jerry Rice. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of those guys. I saw they did not, you figure this is, you know, when the AT&T Pro-Am happened was like right after the NFL season. Right after. So it's not like these guys had any time to play like you were talking about. I, I don't think Jerry Rice in the middle of the season was out, you know, working on his, his golf game. And that boy could hit 300 yards straight as an arrow, and he hadn't played in six months. Yeah. Yeah. And certain people just, it seems like they have this natural knack to uh, to do everything that, uh, that they set their mind to. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned... You know, the difference between coaches, you know, and players. There's yeah. a lot. Of, I know a lot of players that, you know, have, have talked about getting in, into coaching and, and wanted to, you know, dip their toe in it. And they're like, once they do that, some of them stick, but others are like, you know, they're, mm-hmm. when they're done at 5 o'clock, they go home. Mm-hmm. You know, we get food and we finish up meetings with them. We got another five, six, seven hours maybe <laughs> in yeah. the office. So, right. They do have time, some of them, especially like the specialists. Yeah. It's your kickers, your punters, your long snappers. All those guys are like scratch golf. Because <laughs> they've got so much time. Yeah. You it's know? like pitchers So on Friday baseball. afternoons, we get done early on Friday. We call them fast Fridays. So players can be out of there like 1, one thirty in the afternoon. So if the weather's nice and you're, at a, you're in a place where you could play, a lot of those guys will, will go and play. And, and, you know, you're not risking injury or anything like that. But, um, right. but no, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, when you play in these uh, celebrity deals, you get you you get invited to uh, to play in like you know, you know maybe the the one up at Tahoe, yeah. And you see these guys, but again, they understand discipline. They got great focus. They understand process. So mm-hmm. they'll spend hours and hours and hours. Larry Fitzgerald, you know, Kyle Fuller was a corner for us in Chicago. He's at the uh, Broncos now. Those guys are like scratch golfers, and and just to name a few of them. But yeah, Kyle Long. Yeah, if, when you see Kyle Long, Kyle Long's a massive human being. He would not fit, you know, through this door to come in this little radio room here. Yeah, you know, we're doing this podcast from. But he goes out and hits a like you said a golf ball, four hundred yards and straight. Got a little yep. draw on it. And I'm like, what the hell, you know? <laughs> but but these guys are they're amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just I I, I wasn't blessed with, the <laughs> with that. To be I wasn't to, either. Dress yeah. a ball and. and uh, <laughs> And actually make it go yeah. the distance and the direction I wanted to go. 
Every don't, now and then I'll lock up. Don't let uh, Coach kid you, though. He, we had a tournament every year, the men's invitational at Hillcrest, and he had one of his buddies come into town. Was it Bumba? Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy Bumba comes Santa, into town, Bumba. and they get into the you know the men's shootout, and I could just see in Coach's eyes just that, like, fierce competitor come out like we are gonna get this done we are gonna grind <laughs> this out you know so don't let him kid you he'll figure it out we got knocked out on the first hole if you remember well that's all right i didn't want to go that far coach but pressure you did get to the shootout which <laughs> is did, you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so the last part of the podcast we always like to do some quick you know questions generally about golf um with first tee we've got our nine core values okay so i'm going to read them off to you and i want you to pick your favorite and tell me why so those nine core values are respect, honesty, integrity, sportsmanship, confidence, responsibility, perseverance, courtesy, and judgment. Which one's your favorite? That's a tough question because all nine are fantastic. Yeah. You know, and I think teaching those and, and sharing those with, uh, with these young people uh, like you guys are doing are, is phenomenal because sportsmanship, uh, honesty, integrity, I mean – especially in golf and anything you do in life, um, are huge. Um, you know, the respect thing is, is huge because I think that just goes back to, you know, golden rule about, you know, treating people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. Um, and understanding that, but I think, you know, perseverance because golf is going to teach you a lot and, you know, the, the focus, the, the attention to detail, um, you know, the, the preparation, the amount of time that you have to put in, the integrity, the honesty, all those things you talked about. But, like, perseverance, um, grit, because we talked about grit a lot, you know, with my time uh, at the Colts. And it was part of our, our culture and, and our foundation, our core values. Trust, loyalty, and respect is our three core values that held up the shoe. But grit was huge. So I think, you know, and, and perseverance is obviously – huge part of that uh, definition of grit um, because they're going to have, you know, adversity on the course. They're going to have adversity, you know, just getting involved with the first tee, um, you know, adversity on, on you know, things aren't going to come as quick or as easily mm-hmm. as you think they are. So they're going to have to fight through that and persevere through that, you know, and then there's, there's going to be real life stuff. You know, there's going to be uh, things that come up. You know that they're going to have to they're going to have to fight through and and persevere through. And I think, you know, through golf and sports and understanding all those things, um, that's going to it's going to you know um, give them upper hand. You know, so to speak, going through your program. Uh, so when these things do do hit and and life strikes because it's coming and adversity is coming, uh, to have uh, that perseverance and, and that grit. Um, to not quit, you know, and give up and just say, you know what? Because you can look at adversity and things as either a sign or a test, you know, and a lot of, a lot of people will look at it um, that don't have grit and don't have perseverance and resolve in that mindset. It's a sign. It wasn't meant to be. I wasn't supposed to be a golfer. I wasn't. I wasn't supposed to be able to, you know, hit the ball and 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 putt and do all those kind of things. And just it just it's just a sign. It's not for me. Or tough-minded people, people with grit and perseverance, they go. It's a test, you know. And this is another one that 
I'm being challenged with and another one that I'm going to pass. It just makes them stronger. It, it makes them stronger, you know. And so then once they, you know, mature and become adults and, and get married and have children and have families and have to hold down a job and, and you know, put food on the table because there's going to be stuff that happens, it's going to make it that much easier, you know, for them to, to fight through those difficult days. Yeah. Totally agree with you, Coach. Mm-hmm. Um, next one, favorite golf course in Idaho? <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Nobody. <laughs> so i got to be honest with you because I haven't played all the, all the courses, you know, because I'm a homebody and I'm here for the first time full time. So I spend most of my time, obviously, uh, at Hillcrest. And then when we're up in McCall, you know, at Whitetail. So those are, you know, because they're probably only two that I really only play, <laughs> you know. Um, those are my top my top favorites. I haven't been to Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. Never played, you know, those the course up there. Um, you got some more free time on you your know, hands. So Maybe you can take Tina Even the there. local courses, I know, yeah. you know, my late father-in-law, you know, and my brother-in-laws, you know, have ventured out and, and played a bunch of them and, Played Crane Creek, you know, when Butterfield used to belong over there, Scotty. Yeah. That's a nice course. And I love Warm Springs. I played in a couple Bronco, you know, fundraiser deals mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. Uh, so I love that. But but Hillcrest and, and Whitetail. How about favorite golf course outside of Idaho? Do you have to play it? <laughs> <laughs> um, or have played it? Um, that's, a, that's another great one. Terry, when I got fired in 18, Terry and – uh, my brother-in-law Terry Hefner, uh, we went to the Masters, kind of a bucket list deal because we had plenty of time. So we got some some nice tickets uh, that we bought from a guy that wasn't going. And obviously, love like, never played that one. You may have. I hope you have. No. <laughs> but um, um, real quick funny story about the Masters thing. I was working in the golf shop at Hillcrest at the time, and I'll never forget this. Terry comes in and says. Yeah, I think Chuck and I are going to go over to the Masters. I was like, kind of late for you guys to be making that decision. The Masters is in like three weeks. I was like, how'd you guys get tickets so fast? He's like, well, I think uh, I think Coach reached out to his buddy Jim Nance, and he kind of helped us out and <laughs> got us dialed in on tickets. <laughs> we actually, he was, we were going to see him in uh, was it Butler's Cabin or yeah, yeah, at at the at the deal. But I think one of Terry's buddies down in down in Tucson is it Mike Russell? Yeah pro down there mm-hmm. one of his members down there was not using his so we got lucky and found our way down there but i played in this uh deal a uh, buddy of mine from indy puts together a couple foursomes so i played um spanish spanish bay um spyglass and then last day we played pebble so it's a pretty good trio yeah <laughs> and then mm-hmm. finishing up on pebble even though as, as hard as that course is, uh, the wind, just for the view, I, I mean, I could care less whether I, you know, break yeah. 120. I didn't, I didn't care. It's pretty amazing. It was, no, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And hard and all that kind of stuff, but just, just spectacular. So to this day, probably Pebble. Nice. Yeah. Well, Coach. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on Absolutely. the podcast. Um, you're such an inspirational guy to so many people. I don't think you realize how many lives you've touched. And uh, we're lucky to have you in this community. 
It's uh, pretty cool. It was kind of a long shot for me. I was like, I'm going to see if Coach would want to be on the podcast in December. And I shot him a text thinking, oh, I hope he responds. And I think within about five minutes, he said, be an honor, time, place, date. And I was like, perfect. We got him. <laughs> That's the kind of guy Chuck Pagano is. So thank you so much for being here. It really means Appreciate a lot. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Congratulations on the grandson. Yeah. And uh, wish you all the best and hope to see you around the community, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much and happy holidays to you guys. You too, buddy. Have a Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you, Nick. You too, Corey. You know what? It, <laughs> has been, uh, it has been an honor getting to know you this year. We have, this is obviously our last podcast for 2021. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it, it definitely these last couple of years have been up and down and crazy for everyone and everything. And, you know, but one of the things that I ha- have cherished uh, through this last challenging year uh, was getting to meet you, get, getting to learn more about First Tee Idaho, uh, getting to meet some of the kids, some of the staff, and you allowing me the honor of being part of this. Well, it's been our so. absolute pleasure. Uh, it's been super fun to get to know people in the community at a deeper level too with you and yeah it's just super fun so well, we're excited to have some more fun guests on in 2022 absolutely got a great year planned so for everyone who's been a part of this whether this was your your first podcast of listening to for in the rough or you've been you know a, a loyal follower since we started back in the summer thank you bless you and we wish you all the best and a happy happy new year cheers